so glad that, that you're here. Um, yeah, I really appreciate you being here. Um, you know what, let's pray. Uh, you know, there's, there's so much to, to, to pray for. And, and I think it's like this. I want us to get to the point where we pray with an expectation and a real anticipation of what God can and will do. You know, sometimes we pray with uh, wishful hope. I want, us, I want to see God begin to do things so it goes beyond like, oh, man, I kind of wish, I kind of hope, but really expecting what God can do. All right, so let's just pray. <clears throat> Father, we pray for uh, today and that you would speak to us, that, that you would personally speak to us right where we are through your word. That, that your Holy Spirit, who's here in our midst, would, would so illumine the word that it would be like, man, <clears throat> that word is just for me. But I pray that we would open our hearts, we would open our eyes and our ears to receive, Lord. And, and we pray, Father, for Max and, and Salt and Light, Lord. We pray that even as they meet right now, Lord, that you would begin to, you would lead and direct them. That, that you would direct them to the, the right place to meet and also the right time to start meeting on Sundays, Father. We pray for your perfect timing. <clears throat> we thank you that that's what you do. And Father, we pray also that, that we would have your heart and your eyes for the community and the city and the world around us. That your word says that... Um, your desire is that no one would perish, that no one would go to hell, and that all would come to eternal life. That's your passion. That's your desire. I pray that that would be ours, Lord. That that would be first and foremost on our minds. That when we meet people, when we see people, when we walk around um, this city, when we read the news, Lord, whatever it is, that we would have your heart. That the most important thing is eternity, that, that our time here on earth is so short. Father, I pray, give us your heart. And Father, last week, Pastor Cal talked about how you've called us to be a family. I pray that we would have a greater revelation of what that means, more than just like a human, our human ideas of what family is, but Father, that you would give us supernatural revelation, that we would understand truly what it means to be a part of your family that we're a family here. I pray that you would make that really, really clear. And so speak to us. We thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the longer I follow Jesus, I find that the more I love the word, you know, that I, the more I love the Bible. That, um, you know, when, I, when you start out following Jesus, you know, you're told to read the Bible, and you do, and it's, it's more like I got to do than I want to do. And then, you know, you, you, you find out, especially in January, you got to read through the Bible. And, and so you got to do it, so you start reading. And, and you know, Genesis is kind of cool. And then you get to, you know, Exodus, that's still cool. And then, man, it starts really bogging down, you know, Deuteronomy and Numbers and Leviticus and all. You can't even pronounce them. And it's a mess. But... But the longer I follow Jesus, what I find is I just love the Bible more. In fact, this year, you know, I started reading. I was just so getting into it and just 
letting it, the Bible get into me, and it was just been so great that, you know, I finished really, really early, and I said, I'm going to read it again. And I started reading it again. I said, man, this is really great. Great. And so I'm thinking, I want to finish reading the Bible, through the Bible, by, like, September. Then I want to do it again, you know. And I want to just do it because, like, whoo-hoo, look how spiritual I am. But it's just how much I love the Word. Now, in Psalm 119, 105, it says, Your Word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. And I think what makes me love the Bible more is that I've seen the Bible guide me through life. You know, that when you don't know what to do, and when the way doesn't seem to be so clear, man, the Bible really is a light to your path. And, and, And what I look is, man, the Bible is absolutely critical for life. I mean, it's that important. And a very special thing about the Bible to me is how often... I read the Bible, and God speaks directly to me. It's as though, like, whoa, how did God know that I needed that, you know, that passage, that scripture, that word? How did he know? Of course, God knows everything. But I can't tell you how often it is. It might even be every day that, that I'm reading, and God speaks directly to me. And if you do what I do, I want to encourage you to read, you know, as you read through the Bible, but also add on reading a proverb a day, all right? A proverb a day keeps the devil away. No, but a proverb a day, because there's like 31 of them, right? And most months, there's like 30 to 31 days. So whatever the day of the month is, just read the proverb for that day. I guarantee you, God's going to speak directly to where you are, you know? And if... And if you're a, 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 a mother, um, you're going to especially like when you get to the last one in Proverbs 31. You know, so if you've not read that, you better go check that because that's like a really good one for you mama types. And then you just nudge your husband and say, see, see. So anyway, um, but it's so crazy to me how often God speaks directly to me. It's just like, this is like the words just pop out and he speaks. And, and the truth is, God actually speaks to us. You know, that, that God wants to speak to you. You know, you know recently I, I talked about how um, my wife had surgery and, and she wasn't able to talk for a little bit, you know. And um, thinking back this week, I was thinking about it, man, what would it have been like if she lost her voice forever, you know. And I thought, man, how tragic that would be, you know, because I know her voice better than any other voice, you know, right? And when you hear it, and when I hear it, I just know she's there. And it's such a great thing just knowing that she's there, you know, that, that she's there and her voice brings words of encouragement, words of love, words of support, words of correction, in those very rare times when I need to be corrected, right? I mean, I, you know, rare, right? But, but, but it's there because where there is love and a relationship, there are words. That words are spoken. And, and I love the Bible because within its pages, I hear God's voice. I hear God speak to me. And so often, man, he just, 
So in a, in a, in a personal way, he speaks to me through the passages of the Bible. And it just like makes me want to meet God in the word even more. <clears throat> and, you know, there's this common question that many ask about the Bible, right? Something like, you know, can an intelligent person today, in modern times and today, with all the resources that we have um, that are available, you know, with, with science, um, with, with critical thinking, you know, those kind of things, that can a person read the Bible and really seriously believe that it is absolutely true and has the authority to determine really um, uh, where and, and guide us in our, in our lives, in our behaviors, and our beliefs. I mean, really, I mean, come on, are you going to trust the Bible, that the Bible can do all that? And, and you know, th- that's such a common question. In fact, I just had a conversation about that with someone <laughs> this week, you know. And, and, and the Bible, when you read the Bible, it says that all authority really comes and belongs to God. Jesus said in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And when we talk about how the Bible has the authority to guide and determine our beliefs and our behavior, what we're saying is that it's it's how God uses the Bible to express God's authority, uh, his absolute truth. And then when we look at the Old Testament, um, The authority of the Old Testament was recognized by the people of that time. It was recognized by Jesus himself. Jesus said in Matthew 5, he says, Don't misunderstand why I've come. I didn't come to abolish the law. I didn't come to throw away the Old Testament. No, not not at all. I came, he says, I didn't come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish his purpose. And then the books of the New Testament um, that were made up the New Testament were like, widely recognized, you know, like in the first century or something, it was just going around, and it was no question that, um, that it had the authority of God in, in those books. And then in 397 A.D. in this council at, at Carthage, they made it official and said, hey, 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 you know what? We recognize, we recognize that these books um, affirm the authority of God, Right? And so that's the, the Bible. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter uh, 3.16, it says, Every scripture, all of the scripture, has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instructions and corrections. It's giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the paths of godliness. Then you will be God's servant, fully mature, perfectly prepared, to fulfill any assignment God gives you. In other words, the Bible is authoritative because it is uniquely written by God and it is the word, it is really the word that speaks through the authority of God. It talks all about the authority of God. And, and the Bible isn't just a book with commands and doctrines to believe. It's not even an owner's manual. You know, like how our cars have owner's manual, you know? And then when something's wrong or you want to see how to fix something, you know, they'll tell you how to change. Where's the, where's the flat? I mean, where's the, where's the flat? The flat's in your tire. Where's the, where's the, what's that? The jack? The jack that you use for the, for the, for the flat? Yeah, you know that stuff, right? 
And uh, I took some cold medication last night. Okay, my mind's kind of foggy, right? But anyway, so so you see how so you you know you 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 check it all that out. And sometimes we look at the Bible like an owner's manual, right? It's like, what should I do when I'm sick? Go to page 97. You know, oh, I heard the world's coming to an end. When is the world coming? That's page 275. My kid is driving me up the wall. Like, how do I fix my kid? My, my kid? That's pages um, 12 to 975 or whatever, you know, right? <clears throat> and we go there, and, and if you notice... The Bible isn't organized as an owner's manual, right? It's just not. And, and if we did, it would be kind of confusing. In fact, sometimes we look at the Bible, it's kind of confusing. But we need to look at it that it wasn't God's intent to make the Bible like an owner's manual. That, that it's more in a real way, in a very real way, the Bible is written as a story, okay? It's, it's God's story. That the, um, there's this theologian, N.T. Wright, and he, and he says, he describes the story of the Bible like a play, right? And he says, there are like five acts in this play, in this story called the Bible. And, and if you really think about it, that's a really great way to see the Bible and to see how the Bible's organized, and when you see the Bible as God's story, you begin to see God's authority and power all through it. That you will begin to, 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 to feel an excitement as your spirit and your soul begins to yearn to hear more about this story. Because that's how we're wired. We all love stories. That's how God created us. And God chose the Bible to be a story because that's how we're made, you know. We love stories, you know. In fact, like in the spring of 1940, you know, Britain was the last defense in all of Europe um, being under Hitler's full control. Hitler was coming in, and all that was left was Britain. You get that? You get all of you. You get the world pretty much <clears throat> at that time. And the man leading Britain over this, uh, onto this battlefield was Winston Churchill, and I've been reading a book about Winston Churchill, so it's like really cool, right? So Winston Churchill, at that time, in the spring of 1940, he had been the prime minister of Britain all of six weeks, okay? So six weeks into the job, boom, and this major threat has come. And as the threat, and the, the threat of this invasion approached, Churchill told the nation this riveting story that rallied that nation and affected the world. He said, the battle of France is over. The battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned on us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all of Europe may be freed, and the life of the world may move forward into the broad, sunlit uplands. But, but if we fail, then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister 
and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us therefore brace ourselves to our duty and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth lasts for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. So even when I read that, when I read that, I go like, oh, yeah, I'm in, right? And, and people, it's just the story and just the reality of the story just grip their hearts. And, and, they, and they go, I'm in, you know? And uh, I'll give my life for this. And, and some of them did give their lives. But they saved Britain, and they literally saved the world. And... and Knowing that the Bible story and really the reality of the Bible story and how it affects all of us should rally us to action. That, that this is God's story. This is our story. This is the story of the world. And, and when we read it, it should rally us like, whoa. If you want to know how that works, just make a note. Read Romans 1. Read Romans 1. Read Romans 1 and tell me if that's not the world we're living in today. Right? Because the Bible is real. And, and it should affect us. And it's so important because if you choose to ignore or reject God's story, that you're going to miss out. That you are going to miss out of the story that you were created to live. That's how important the Bible is. That it's not a book of commands. It's not a book of just do's and don'ts. It's not just an owner's manual. It's a story. It's God's story. And one day the Bible story will come to an end. And, and how um, N.T. Wright how he organizes the Bible. He says, this is the first act. He says, I'm going to go real quick. We're going to go through the five acts, and you'll see it. If you, you want to take notes, take notes, because then you'll see kind of how the Bible is organized in a kind of a cool way. But the first act is creation, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible explains in these chapters why everything exists, that God in his wisdom, right, created everything for his glory. In Psalm 19.1, it says, The heavens proclaim the glory. It says, The glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Romans 1.20 says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. There's a reason why you get so stoked when you look at the beauty of the world and the beauty of creation. It's, it's, it's because, because it's, 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 it's God's creation. And, you know, um, one of the most special places in all of the earth to me is this place in southern Oregon called Crater Lake. All right. And I was in the fourth grade um, just a few years ago. I was in the fourth grade, and I wrote a report on, on Crater Lake, you know, because that's what you do in the fourth grade back then. You have a report, you make pictures, put them on the bulletin board, and you say, hey, this is great. yeah, that's Crater Lake. And it was always like, man, I, I got to get to Crater Lake. 
And so when we were in seminary, one, one day we took a trip um, on a weekend. We went down from Portland. We went down to, to Crater Lake. And I remember coming over the ridge and coming into the park. And then, you know, there's all this forest like that. And then finally you get to a point where you can overlook Crater Lake. And it was like, whoa. This is like, this is like the most beautiful place on earth. At that time, it was like, other than Candlestick Park, this is like, this is like the greatest place. And <clears throat> I remember looking upon that lake. And then we got to go, like there's like boat tours, and you can go down, and, and we were on the lake itself. And I was waiting for like the lock net, whatever. I, you know, I was just there, and it was great. And, I, and all through that, that time then we were there, I just kept thinking, only God, only God. You know, that's kept going through my mind, that only God could create something this beautiful. And Act 1 of the Bible is all about how God created the world, how it all started, where it started, and we learn all that in Act 1. Then it goes on to Act 2. Act 2 is the fall. It's called the fall. In Genesis 3 to 11, in this act, what we see where trouble began. Like, man, the world was beautiful. God created everything. Everything was in harmonious. And then we see trouble come in through the sin of Adam and Eve. And it's known as the fall, where, where sin came in and disrupted um, God's story. In this act, we see how violence and oppression and pain and suffering, and you look around and you think, like, why is the world so messed up? Acts, Acts, Act 2 explains why we're in such a mess today. That's what Act 2 is all about. You know, um, we see where, where death entered the world. You know, um, the first murder was there. Conflicts in relationships, you know, struggles in marriage. You know, Genesis 6, 5 says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness because sin came in, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. You know, that's how bad it got. And the story of the Bible tells us that the world was designed for a particular purpose, but things got messed up, and the reason things got messed up was because not because of, like, um, ignorance or lack of, of progress, you know. And, and so this world cannot be fixed just by education and, and all that stuff or technology or anything that, you know, that we as humankind can conjure up. What we see that the mess we're in today is because of sin. It's a sin issue. And God's perfect creation had become imperfect and flawed um, because of sin. And so this act talks all about that. How, how God's perfect world got all messed up. And then it leaves us thinking, how will God deal with the tragedy of the fall? You know, will he just wipe everything out? Now that it's ruined by sin and start all over again, you know? We go to Act 3. And because the story doesn't end in Act 2. In Act 3, it's all about the chosen nation of Israel. In Genesis 12, we see that God hasn't given up on the story. 
he takes a man, Abram, and changes his name to Abraham. And he tells Abraham that he's going to be a father of many nations. And this is such an important part of the Bible story and God's story because, because this is the part of the story that, that tells how God is going to begin to fix what sin messed up. And, and we read, and as we read this act of the Bible story, it's not going to tell us how God loves Israel more than anybody else. Instead, it tells us how God desired to use Israel to kind of reclaim all the people in creation he loves, that he wants to use Israel to bring everything back into order. In Genesis 18, 18, for Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. That was God's intent. That, that, that he was going to bless Abram, Abraham and his nation, this small little nation, and he was going to bless them so they could be a blessing to the world. You know? And he starts with Abraham, and he gives Abraham some commandments and regulations and laws. And this is what he tells Abraham way back in Deuteronomy, right? thousands of years ago. It says, Deuteronomy 6.5, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your, and all your strength. Sounds familiar, right? Leviticus 19, don't seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. It's interesting that many, many years later, Jesus said those two things are like the greatest commands. Everything else hinges on that. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Something to keep in mind as you read this act of the, of the Bible story after the fall, that it was really a messed up time. I mean, evil abounded. It was, it was horrible how, how bad things were. You know, the killing of, of little children and baby, they were like commonly practiced. Women were generally treated as possessions, Masters would kill slaves for no good reason at all. Um, religion was, was mostly superstition because people didn't know God. You know, it was just a mess. Religion sometimes sometime involved temple prostitutes. That was part of religion. And worse than that, human sacrifices. That was, that was, the, that was the scene where God came in and chose Abraham and the nation of Israel, that's where he, he, he came in to that. Because he said, man, this world is messed. Everything's got messed up. And he came back in. And Act 3 is all about God choosing this man and this nation to turn things around. Okay? And then we go to Act 4. Act 4 is the life and the ministry of Jesus. Okay? So you had creation, Oh, got messed up with the fall, right? And then says, you know, I'm going to raise up Abraham and Israel, and they're going to be a blessing to the nation. But you know what? Everything was leading up to Act 4. When we read Act 4, the life and ministry of Jesus, we begin to see it all focused on that. Jesus encounters some of his followers after his resurrection, and he says this in Luke 24, 25. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, 
you find it so hard to believe that all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures, wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What he was doing was he says, look, here's the Bible story. Here's what's happened from the very beginning. Here where we are. And everything in the Bible story, in all of history, was leading up to me coming to earth. And Acts 4, Act 4 is like the critical act where God turned things around. That on the white horse, the hero, Jesus is like the hero in the story. And he's come in. And that everything that God was doing in the previous act was leading up to Jesus. And then what we read in Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, the Son of Man has, not, has come to seek and save that which was lost. See, in the Bible story, Jesus has come in to the story to save the day. And that's what that act is all about. Here comes Jesus, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection changed everything. And then we come to Act 5, the final act of the Bible story. And Act 5 is all about the church. It's all about the church. It's about God's family. It's about God's church. And Jesus ascends to the Father. He sends the Holy Spirit, empowers his um, followers to continue the mission that he started to seek and save that which was lost. See, that's what he came, that's what we're all about now. The church is called to be faithful until Jesus returns. And Jesus is going to come back, right? In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here looking at Jesus had ascended to heaven, and they're looking like, whoa. And they keep looking, right? And the guy goes, hey, why are you guys standing, staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And, and we're in the final act of the Bible story. That's the act that we all are living in today. That Jesus has left, and he gave the church its marching orders to go out and make disciples. He's giving us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do what he's called us <clears throat> to do. And, and at the end of the Bible, and then the end of the Bible story will come. That, that one day, the Bible story will come to an end. It might be in our lifetime. It might be soon. When will the final chapter and the final paragraph be written? We don't. When is Jesus going to come back? Because he is. Matthew 24, 36 says, No one knows the day or the hour. When these things, when, when the end of the Bible story will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. One day, the Bible story will be finished, but God's story will go on for all eternity. And until then, we have a mission. Okay? We have a mission. We're all part of this Bible story that we have a mission to accomplish. And the greatest key for us who are living in Act 5 is not 
going to be our ingenuity. It's not going to be our hard work. It's not going to be our strength. It's not even going to be how much we sacrifice for God. The greatest key will be our obedience to God, the author of this story. The biggest key that, that, that's going to set us apart, that's going to make us, make us successful or not in fulfilling God's mission, the, the biggest key to living this life isn't how much money or how much education or anything like that, how much possessions you have. It's going to be how obedient you have been to God. And in order for us to be obedient, we got to know him. we got to know him. And we need to know the author of the story. And as we know God through his story called the Bible, he will speak to us. And he will lead us. And he will show us where and what to do and how to live a life of obedience. See, some people, we pray and we just say, well, I'm just going to pray. And, you know, they get an impression from God and think, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And they spend their whole life trying to get impressions from God. I know what God told me and I go, go, go. You know what? That is, that is part of it. But the bigger part is how do you know what you're hearing is really from God, right? How we know is through God's story, the Bible story, right here in the scriptures. Because what we hear will never contradict what the Bible says. Right? Man, my wife is driving me crazy. I think God is saying I need to divorce her. That goes against what the Bible says. You know, divorce is so hurtful. God says, the Bible says God hates divorce. So God wouldn't tell you to do something that he's telling you don't do. Right? And so we've got to know. We've got to know him. And we've got to know the story. And when we get into the Bible, God will begin to speak to us. That's what Psalm 119 is all about. And it's no accident that that is the longest chapter in the Bible, you know, that is like 176 verses or something like that in Psalm 119. And, and in Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, how can a young man, a young person, an old person, any person stay pure? By obeying God's word. Simple. How do you stay pure? Obey God's word. May we be a church, may we be a people, may we be a family that are passionate about obeying the author of the story. I pray that Psalm 119, verses 97 to 104, would be the desire of our hearts. That we would say, man, that is what I am most passionate about. In Psalm 119, verse 97, it says, How I love your instructions. I think about them all day long. Your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are my constant guide. Yes, I have more insight than my teachers, for I am always thinking about your laws. I am even wiser than my elders, for I have kept your command, commandments. I have refused to walk on any evil path so that I may remain obedient to your word. I haven't turned away from your regulations, for... You have taught me well. How sweet your words taste to me.
And we go on in that passage. And I just think, you know, like, your word gives me understanding. And I want to get to the place where I say, I hate every false way of life. You see, Psalm 119 verse 105 says, the word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light to my path. God will lead and guide you. God will speak to you right where you are in his word. And some people say, oh, man, it's like, it's like hard. It's not easy to read the Bible. Tell me something in life that is worthwhile that's easy. Nothing. But this is so worthwhile. I want to encourage you. Get into the word. Out on the welcome table, I got this five-day Bible reading program. What it is, is that you read the Bible every day uh, in the week. You just read for five days in a week, and you get two days to catch up if you need to. I really like it. And what it is, is um, they take a passage from the Old Testament and New Testament, and what they do that is really, really cool to me is that they kind of like sync up stuff. So like when David is in the, is in the cave, you know, because afraid of what Saul is doing to him, then you read on that same day, you read about in Psalms where David was in that cave. And man, I just found this like the greatest thing. So if you want to, you just follow along. And there's a bunch on the, Tammy got a bunch there. You can grab one. Join me in this. Or you know what? If you got a Bible app, you got whatever. I don't care if you just, if you listen to the Bible as you drive to work. It doesn't matter. What, what I'm saying is, is get into the word and let the word get into you. I guarantee you that if you just start this for a, a week, a month, man, you're going to be like me. Man. This is like the greatest thing since the 49ers won the Super Bowl or something, you know. And it's going to be great. And that, it just spurred me on, right? But, but submit yourself to the Bible. Make a decision not to be driven by your experiences, by your desires, or what is culturally trendy maybe, but, but really let your life be driven by the word of God, the Bible. The Bible says one day Jesus is coming back. One day Jesus is coming back. It says that one day sin and death will finally be defeated and the world is going to be made you know, just gloriously new. One day, Act 5 will be over. And that we're going to enter a new story. And according to the Bible, that this new story is going to be so great, so much greater than the one we're experiencing now. And so let's get ready and make obedience to God a highest priority. Get to know God in the Bible. And then, you know what? Come back next week, and we're going to talk about how, how, in fact, Joe is going to talk about how she lets God speak to her in a personal way, how she allows God to speak to her through the Word. And it's going to be great. All right? Why don't you um, stand with me? We're going to pray, and we're going to have a closing song. But I want you to, to really, you know, May God fill you with a greater desire to get to know him and the Bible story. 
and the five acts. I mean, if you just think about it, right? How easy to think about how the Bible is organized that way. First, you've got creation, how everything was created. The fall, how things got messed up. God said, man, this is a mess. Chose the nation of Israel, right? Abraham, nation of Israel. Then the life and the ministry of Jesus. And then now it's all about the church. You know, that's how the Bible, because the Bible is a story. All right, why don't we pray? Father, I pray that it's hard on our own because we, our, our sin nature makes us rebel, makes us push away. But I pray, Father, that, that may we grab hold and say, yes, God, the Bible story is really my story, that I want it to be my story. And, and the way in and the way to live is through obedience to you. I pray that all of us here would be spurred on to make obedience to you our greatest desire and to make knowing who you are and, and hearing your voice make that the highest desire of our lives. Father, I pray to speak to us now. Touch every person here. And Father, if there are people here who just, oh, that's what the Bible is about. And, and they've never made a decision to choose Jesus, I pray today would be that day. That people would say, yeah, I'm in. That Jesus came to die for me and my sin. Because I see now how sin entered the world and messed up everything and it's messed up my life. And I want to fully engage in what God has called me to be in, in this act, in Act 5. As I receive Jesus as my Savior, follow Him and begin to hear your voice in your word, the Bible. So speak to us all, especially this week. Speak to us through your word. We thank you for your Bible. In Jesus' name, amen.